Hello and welcome to Tell Me About Your D&D Character, a podcast where people get a chance to talk about their characters from different role-playing games. Sometimes that's D&D and sometimes that is a variety of other ones, just the ones that really interest them. I'm your host Jeremy and today I'm talking to Catherine Locke. Catherine is a US author who has edited the anthology It's a Whole Spiel, uh, as well as writing the Balloon Makers duology, uh, which I'm particularly fond of, started with The Girl with the Red Balloon, uh, which is a good really good YA series about a time slip book about going back to Coldwell, Berlin. She's also the author of the District Valley romance series. And please, if you are interested in hearing, if you do like what uh, Catherine says on this podcast, please go and check her out. Uh, Some links will be in the show notes as well, but also at the end of the episode. Catherine and I go back quite a ways. We were both involved with the Age of Glory, Wheel of Time forum roleplay system. System, I say system, as though I wasn't one of the administrators and saw all the work that was going into it. This was way back in the mid to early 2000s, a good 13, 14 years ago now, which is feels like a very long time at the moment. And a lot of it, we get into it in the episode as well, but I have watched Catherine's career, all of her books come out, which has been wonderful. It really has been a joy. And it's been wonderful getting a chance to talk with her again and see, just hear some of her thoughts and how role-playing has changed her writing style. Uh, But without much further ado, let's get into the episode. Well, Catherine, welcome to the podcast. And um, you've got a bit of a different story from what most people who have been on the show have had. Most of them are into Dungeons and Dragons, but you got your start through play-by-post roleplay. Yes. Yes, I did. Um, with you. With me. Yes. This is why I was able to con you into coming on here. <laughs> uh, but maybe we'll, we'll talk about what play-by-post is so people get yeah. an idea of what that might be to start with rather than the traditional tabletop role-playing. So in your words, what is play-by-post role-playing? Uh, I frequently call it forum role play, which maybe isn't the same thing, but that's how I think of it in my head. Because we played on like pro boards back in the day. (laughs) Um, And like at that time, pro boards had like they couldn't keep up with the number of pro boards. So you'd be Mm -hmm. like Mm proboards31.com, proboards7.com. But anyway, you would do it on forums and you would construct a character and you would interact with other people but it'd be long form writing it was like interactive fan fiction almost yeah um and sometimes you could plot out with your friends like where a role play like a scene was going and where what the trajectory of characters were yeah um then sometimes you didn't have somebody that you were used to playing with and you kind of were just winging it and seeing what <laughs> happened. Um, yeah, there'd be threads saying, I'm looking for someone to role play with this character. And someone right. would say, yeah, let's do that. And you'd start one and right. see where it went. And you could also have multiple characters. So yeah. I played like three or four characters and was always making up new ones that I would abandon. But like I probably had like three main ones that I played. That's the key of any good role player, having three main characters and then a thousand other ones that you just keep creating because yeah. it's fun. Yeah. yeah, it is really fun. And if like one was slow, I had the same problem back then that I have now is that I tend to create and write faster than the, the 
uh, structure that I am writing inside of. So, like, I write too fast for publishing now, and I wrote too fast for, like, everyone else because everyone else had jobs. And (laughs) I was in high school skipping class to sit in the library and write on on these forums and playing all these Wheel of Time characters. So uh, I had to make more characters in order to keep up with my brain and... Mm -hmm inventing things it was fun it was like i i wish that there was something like that now that i had time for is that Um, not writing though it's not as interactive like Mm. it's interactive in that i sit in my head a whole lot but i miss that like i had a a character who had a meet cute at a tavern with this other person's character Mm -hmm. and she and i did not know each other prior to our characters having this meet cute and then we decided to like pursue it as a romance i'm still friends with this person online and we still talk about like writing together and how much fun those two characters were Mm. and you don't get that quite as much when you're writing solo and i don't i would love to write co-write a novel with somebody but i have not done it yet I feel that collaborative writing fiction is a lot trickier than collaborative writing a role play because the role plays and even just any sort of role play gaming tabletop. Otherwise it is built around that collaborative storytelling and that collaborative narrative because you don't know where right. the, the plot is going to go because you've already got it. In some cases you've got a dungeon master telling the story and you're putting your role into it in um, the, the forum role play you have somebody putting their take on the scene and you're just kind of playing off them. It's almost an improv, but much more well-planned. Yeah. And I think that most of the forum role plays or the play-by-posts are inside of a world-building structure that you don't have to build out too much farther. Yeah. So that would be different than co-writing a novel together, right? Like you'd be working inside a familiar world for whatever... um, whether somebody's building an original world and giving you the scaf- scaffolding or you've absorbed the scaffolding from whatever medium or fandom or whatever, uh, that's easier to, to do the improv inside of because there are limits that are like pre, pre-agreed upon. Yeah. I did notice a lot of the, the old forum role plays were around a different license. It'd be in your case, in my case as well, it was Wheel of Time. There were Sonic role plays. There were Star Wars role plays. It was very much, you already had that world built and essentially they were the dungeon master in that case. They were the one that had created, the, the right. license had created this world for you and you just created a character to play in it. And then you built a yeah. backstory around them. And Wheel yeah. of Time, Wheel of Time, when we were doing it, was a hugely popular one. That seemed to be yes, all there, there were a was. Lot. And I tried to join other Wheel of Time ones, but I didn't like them as much. So I always came Aww. back to Age of Glory. Yeah. Aww, thank you. This was Age of Glory, which would have been around, what was it, 2004, 2005? 2003. Oh, God. <laughs> That's when I started. 2003 to 2006. Seven, I want to say. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, yeah, it was a long time, and my brother played too. Do you he remember did. that? I did. Yeah. yeah, my brother joined as well, and like then, like we'd be driving to school and discussing the characters mm-hmm. and like where we were going to take our characters. Uh, he's not a writer. I mean, he he writes short stories and poetry, yeah. but he's not a novelist. No, it is that it's one of those things that it's easier to get other people involved because it can take fifteen minutes of your day. That a forum post, if you're just doing one character, if you're just involved in one or two different scenes, 
And Age of Glory had a thing where every post you made had to be 250 words. That was mm-hmm. it. That could be dialogue. It could be description, which is where I tended to shine because I just had these massive paragraphs of this is what the trees looked like and the river was <laughs> flowing. And I'm like, yep, I'm done for the day, out of it. But it was... Um, Something that you could do in your spare time. You didn't have to sit down for three hours with other people who could all get around at the same time. That you could just do this in the car on the way to work. You could think it up yeah. and you'd type it up in an email almost and send it off. And it was yeah, something it was, that you could discuss with other people as well and, and work out. Yeah, and there were spaces on the forum for out-of-character talk to mm. plan things or just to chat. And I really liked that as well, that it became this social space for me. Uh, Like most young people in the early aughts, like I grew up on the internet and that was my space that, not my space, but my online refuge, Uh, which would be like such a good, hilarious fiction name for what a MySpace like site, my online refuge. I'm going to hold on to that. Um, But that, that like I could come in, I could write and, and learn how to write. So Mm. I could, like, I really think that writing on Age of Glory is what taught me how to write because you had a minimum word count. So I couldn't just go in there and, like, bullshit three lines out and be like, character development. Mm -hmm. Um, And there were also different goals. Like, your character couldn't just accelerate forward. Like, she had to go through training or she Mm -hmm. had to meet certain steps. There were actual tests for the character. Mm. Um, And they couldn't be done, like, all in one row. Like, you actually had to wait more than a week to move your character up from one stage to another. Yeah. Um, and then there was that major role play requirement where every character had to go through um, a certain... I don't remember what the parameters were, but it was definitely a word count and a post count. Yeah, I think it was parameter. 500 words per post and five posts. Yeah, yeah. So, and I will point out that I, as one of the people running the site, never actually completed a major role play. <laughs> I think I completed two, one you for did. Jason and one for Nanim. Um, and but that made me think about character like so I was on other fan fictions and mm. I was on other role play stuff. I was doing like Harry Potter stuff too. None of those actually asked me for any character development. Age of Glory was like, No, your character has to change. They have to learn things. They have yeah. to interact with you people. And I was like, Whoa, that's how fiction works. Um, So that was really cool too because I think that it taught me how to do character development in a short space and it taught me how to uh, move a character forward and make them face actual challenges uh, that were both internal and external. Like how to tie that internal emotional journey to an external challenge uh, in ways that they reflected and became foils for each other. I think part of that, it's that idea for a role-playing game on a tabletop level, it's that idea of leveling up. Right. That the, the character has grown, has gone through an arc and has learned something from this experience and they get better. And when it's just writing, it's about that growth internally. It's about you learning lessons, making mistakes, and it may be something, it may be a setback on their level, but the idea is that it's something that you're creating through their personality. Yeah, when I've I've played D and D a little bit, is that that would be since then? I'm guessing. So, yeah, since yeah. then, uh, like in the last two years, the group of authors are on Skype. And we play on Skype, yep. which is a little slower, but it's really fun. We're in one, two, three countries. 
uh, in many, many time zones. It's very complicated to schedule. Yeah, I can imagine. But I feel like my character in that game, like his personality is that he does not learn. Mm-hmm. And that is also challenging to play mm-hmm. in its own way, is that he like absolutely steadfastly refuses to learn from his mistakes. And everyone else around him is learning, so he continues to be the weakest link, uh, which is really fun for me. I essentially play like the extroverted, charismatic version of myself Mm -hmm. in a cis guy, which is also fun, but it's been fun to figure out how to continue to have him be a buffoon while his skills are leveling up, Mm -hmm. right? So like he's getting better weapons, he's learning more things, he can do more, but personality-wise, he is still a 17-year-old boy. Who's, he's not actually 17, but he acts like a 17-year-old yeah. boy. I have a um, like careening, like Yeah, like careening through. We've been in these caves in this one mountain for so long. It is ridiculous. But that's that's also been a way of stretching my creative muscles of, like, this is a person who absolutely refuses to change. What is that like? Yeah. Yeah, that they do have to go through these things. And what are you going to put them through? for them to take nothing away from that, that they're going through an experience that should change them and they're just not going to. I mean, he has a pathological fear of rugs now as a result of being trapped in a rug that tried to smother him. So I feel like maybe he does have the capacity to change, but he needs to be in a life-threatening situation personally. Like if other people are in life-threatening situations, he's not too worried, but he he does not walk across rugs anymore. (laughs) When did the idea for this character, what was the character's name? Asir. Asir. So where did the... A-S-I-R. Where did the idea for Asir come from? Is this something that you've just been developing or did it come from bits and pieces of other characters you've had in the past? Bits and pieces of other characters, including an Age of Glory character who I'm pretty sure was Azir, A-Z-I-R. Yep, I remember Uh, Azir. Yeah. so, like, I really wanted to play somebody who wasn't, like, anybody that I write in my books. So, an extrovert, charismatic, a cis guy, uh, somebody with, um, who, like, flirts audaciously with yeah. literally anything that moves. So, a cis guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A cis... Hello, this guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then I wanted, I wanted to put. I mean, then he's in a group of people who are like essentially all very surly introverts. Mm-hmm. Um, so that has been really fun. But I wanted him to be different than the people I write in novels. So I had to go to like the extremes to get away from that. Yeah, and how's that gone? Uh, we haven't played in a while because. Our schedules have not lined up, but it's been really fun and really interesting. And I laugh more when I'm playing D&D than I laugh. I mean, I just don't laugh at any of the characters I write in the rest of my life. So it's fun to play somebody who I'm like, I can't believe I'm about to do this, but (laughs) this is what a seer would do. Uh, That's really, it's a joyful way of creating. I find that is so often the case that there's something... Role-playing in any form gives you that chance to hear the voice in your head saying, oh, I shouldn't do this. My, I, don't, I shouldn't be saying this. But exactly what this person, this, this crash fire of a human being that I'm role-playing right now would do. And, well, I got to let it yeah. out. And I know it's going to get a laugh out of everyone because that's what would happen. 
And there's yeah, no consequences exactly. for me. There's consequences for him, and that's right. going to be fun too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We did this, like, I don't remember what the things were that were attacking us. Um, they were, like, large, flying, angry bat mosquitoes. I yeah. think they have a name, but I don't remember what it is. But we were crossing a swamp. We were wading across a swamp when they attacked us. And so uh, I was like, I have a fairly high athletic score. I'm going to see if I can, like, swim instead. And I rolled for an athletic strike, and I rolled a one. Oh. How do you do that? But then playing a one of, like, this guy who's fairly sure that he can swim across mm-hmm. this lake instead and then fails. Mm-hmm. And then, like, everyone made fun of him for like the rest of that campaign it was really funny like we'd just be like remember when Azir just face planted into the pond yeah that was great <laughs> and it's the um the the element of i can t- oh no i meant to do that that was me they're just showing you not yeah. what to not to do yeah and but he had a halfling on his shoulder so that oh, person God. also went like like it was a whole mess and but it was really funny and we talked mm-hmm. about it forever like the mm-hmm. characters held on to it we held on to it it was really fun um but yeah it's it's a really joyful funny way of interacting with fiction and with other people in that co-creating space uh is really fun and also challenging because i am a total control freak in 99 percent of my life mm-hmm. and i cannot control anything because i am not the dm i have no idea what's coming around the corner yeah. uh and i cannot account for the other characters decisions like there's a, another person in our group and she plays this half dragon and uh, that character drives my character insane. Uh-huh. But my friend plays her so well. Like the character's like, oh, I see that rational choice that I should make, but I am not going to do it. And I'm like, but uh, why is this happening? <laughs> but it's really fun. It's really fun. It's a, it gets you out of your head in it. Um, yeah, it's, I love creating and co-creating is really fun and uh, so much of novel writing is so isolated and so lonely and so much time like I've been writing this one book for two and a half years now and I'm so tired of this one book but co-creating through forum role play or through D&D is so much faster and yeah. I feel like it's got that instant gratification thing that I miss from when I used to write fan fiction so this is a way of keeping it going. And we see that with, um, I mean, there's Twitter roleplay accounts as well, the same sort of style, that it's just conversations back and forth between people in a role. It's interesting that those are the two extremes that you've got, that you've got the, almost the improv of D&D that you've been doing, where it's got, you've got no control, whereas something like a forum roleplay, you can plan out in advance. You can go in this post, I want them to reach this point and we can have this scene and have that emotion. And we planned out how you'll build up to that with even down to subscription sometimes. Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. just those two very different, different formats. And I think it's because Jason, what, what I remember, Jason was not like Azir at all. No, no, Jason was like a stoic, quiet introvert, very brooding, very yeah. brooding. Yeah, classic 2000s um, teen yeah. character. <laughs> yeah. Tell us a bit more about Jason. Where did he come from when you were oh. creating him and planning out some of his arcs? Oh, Jason? Well, actually, was... tell us about some of the arcs that Jason went through as well. I think that would be interesting for people. Yeah, Jason was like, yeah, he he was clearly came out of like the early 2000s. He was an emo boy that I stuck into the Wheel of Time universe. Yeah. Uh, For those he, of you who don't know the Wheel of Time universe, there is a TV show coming out and check it out. Because uh, be the casting good. looks amazing. I'm yeah. freaking out over it. It's not as good uh, as the pilot with Billy Zane, but... <laughs> <laughs> um, 
so Jason was a character who had I'm trying to remember all of the details he had lost his family hmm. because that's like what yeah. you do when you're writing characters you want to be really lonely apparently I thought it was impossible to be lonely but still have family no, which you, is a lot <laughs> you want, if, you want, if you want an emo teen you get rid of their family Right, so I think he had lost most of his family, and he felt very alone. Uh, he, like, purposefully isolated himself at the tower. Uh, he didn't want to make friends. And then he went to this tavern called, I think I called it the Hawk and Dove. That sounds right, yeah. Yeah, something, you know, taverny. Yeah. And he met May, mm-hmm. who was played I by my friend May. Jules. Yeah. yeah. And so May was, like, this bubbling Aesodai. Is that how we say it? I actually Um, don't know. I always say Aesodai. Aesodai. Yeah. Turns out none of us know. No one knows. Robert Jordan Um, was the only one and he took it to the grave. (laughs) No, Brandon Sanderson has probably said it on that podcast of his. I should go through it and find. Um, So he met May and May was like this who had also lost her family but was still like this bubbly kind of young, sweet girl that he was like very attracted to her energy mm-hmm. and that was like a chance encounter i literally just put jason in a tavern and was like if anyone wants to play with him there he's there otherwise he's wow. just gonna drink yep and um jules jumped in and then they went there was a tree and there were birds and there was like a metaphor with a bird's nest we like went I remember a the bird's nest long. yeah the bird's nest was a lot like in retrospect i'm like katie you're slow slow your roll there um <laughs> But there was, like, a really deep contemplative moment around a bird's nest, which is essentially where they decided that they were going to run away together. Mm-hmm. And then one of them, I don't remember who, bails on that decision, and then they break up and don't speak to each other. I think it was May. May bailed on it? Yeah. <sighs> it's always the women. <laughs> so then Jason went out to, like, a border town where he was stationed and then may as soon as she was cloaked ran away and essentially joined him out there and that's as far as i think we got them that was still Um, like two three years worth of role play oh yeah it was long like we had an established romance and established breakup they avoided each other like we would have them we would post on the same threads of them seeing each other and then avoiding each other and yeah. like plan together when they would overlap. It was very dramatic, uh, but it was also really fun. So, A, I met Jules, who I'm still friends with, and we still talk about these characters. Um, B, we wrote a ton. We would add song lyrics at the top of all of our posts, and they were so email. It's really embarrassing now. But when songs come on my iPod, I'm like, oh, that song has been on my iPhone since 2003. Uh And I know that because I know that this is a Jason song. (laughs) Um, Like, what's that guy's name? Josh Groban? Yep. There were a lot of Josh Groban songs, like a lot of them. So that was one arc. And then I think that he went searching for his family and maybe found a brother. There was some drama around that, and also there was an ex-girlfriend that he ran into who May was really jealous of when she shows up. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was like a soap opera for two or three years that played out in a fantasy world, and I miss it. Like, that was fun to write something that was super angsty and soapy like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it was It was really fun, and 
Jason's arc is that he learns to let May in and learns to love again. It was very cheesy. But it's classic. Uh, I have I have no regrets. <laughs> no, no regrets. Never regret None. a roleplay decision. Yeah. Just go on to the next mistake. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, I played Nanim. She was like a real. She is probably more indicative of who I would end up writing in young adult, which is she was like a slightly manic, very smart, very capable, extremely impulsive girl who like decided she was going to take on the whole world. Uh, So her brother was in training too. I don't think I, I think I dropped that line pretty quickly and like only used him to create drama. (laughs) Uh, His name began with an E, but I don't remember anything beyond that. This is another great benefit of the the forum format and the play by post that you could basically you were your own dungeon master and you had all these little puppets to use. Yeah. You could be like, okay, yep. I need someone for this scene, but I don't know if I can trust someone else to do it, so I'll quickly create a character and I'll just do a little thing for them and they'll be there yep. for that. And then oh wow, if someone else wants to role play with them slightly, I've got six or seven going on. But you yes, could have exactly. you'd play off yourself and just create. Yeah, and that was really fun and I because I created Nanim was how I came out and like tested the waters of coming out for the first time. So Nanim wakes up in bed with another girl and freaks the fuck out. So like she freaks the fuck out because that's what I would have done if I had woken up in the bed with a girl at 16. That would have been weird and terrible. Like I would have completely melted down. Um, But that was also like the way that I was testing, like how are people going to react in the future? Uh, And everyone Age of Glory was like, yes, this is how the world works. But (laughs) Oh, it was so wise back then. But like I lived in a small conservative town in a conservative area and I didn't know anybody who was gay. Like I didn't know a single person who was out at my high school, no teachers, no adults in my life, like no one. So I genuinely didn't know how people were going to come out or like candle coming out and that's how I like tested and navigated what are my feelings um and I contributed to a trope I didn't know was a trope because I killed Nanim's girlfriend but like Nanim's process was like dealing with that grief and then also coming out and then also like Nanim comes out and expects it to be this whole big thing and everyone was like yep uh-huh <laughs> okay and, and what else is new essentially, yeah essentially what happened when i came out people were like uh-huh okay so yeah it was uh that was also fun to write and an interesting way to use fiction mm-hmm. or form role play and like i i'm i know that that's a very common story for those of us who came out and lived on the internet in the early mm-hmm. aughts so that that testing the waters and discovering yeah. finding your identity through an online persona yeah because if you guys have been like, oh, God, no gay, yeah, like, I could have just quit the game and ghosted everybody, and that would have been fine. Like, I could easily have cut that out of my life, and oh. it would have had no effects on me and my safety where I was. Oh. So that's why it was safe to test there, too. So. I think online spaces, particularly supportive ones, are so useful for that. And I think role-playing groups in particular, if it's a group of friends who can be supportive, you can test those waters. You can be, yeah. okay, so this character is is bisexual. This character is asexual. I'm just going to see how everyone reacts because it's just a role-play. I don't have to worry about it being me. And then if I want to take it a bit further and tell my friends hey, I actually am bisexual, that can be something, a stepping stone that you've already made. Right, exactly. Yeah, it's a way to test language, um, practice. I mean, you're role-playing your life then through a Mm -hmm. character. 
Yeah, which I think, honestly, I've had someone say that they wouldn't be able to understand it, that so much is going on in their life, they can't imagine being someone else. But I think that that's part of the appeal to me, that it's like, this doesn't have to be anything to do with me. I can bring in elements of me, something, someone I want to be, yeah. someone I really dislike, and I can go, well, what is it like being inside a head? Yeah, you're role-playing. I mean, you're you're gaming out your either your own life or, like, how would things be different if I was more like this or so-and-so was more like this or this person that I'm going to carry into this. Um it's gaming out your life too but like a seer is not anyone in my life and i am not a cis guy and have no interest in being a cis guy uh he's just fun to play he's just <laughs> a way for me to kind of be a jerk and just blame it on being a guy <laughs> so uh it's a way to experience something you wouldn't in any other situation yeah and somebody that i i that I don't want to write anywhere else because I don't really want to spend the time like breaking down why they shouldn't actually be like this. And I can just do it without any like consequences on me as a creator. So what would you say a Sears defining moment that you've played him would be? Um, Apart from falling face first into the swamp or the river. So we are, we were in a town called dark edge. Okay. Um, which he's half elven, uh, and it's a dwarven town, so it, it's gone really well for me. <laughs> <laughs> and by that I mean I've like started several fights yeah. by accident. Um, I tried to flirt with a our tour guide who was not into it on many levels. Like in general, I don't think she was into it, but she was definitely not into it with the seer. And the seer was just flirting with her because like that's how he interacts mm-hmm. with people. Um, but we also had to get like permits for everything. So we needed like a permit to like carry weapons, I think in the town. So we like had to go get a permit for that. And then we needed a permit to go into the mines and we needed a permit to get a tour guide. There were a lot of permits involved in like permit offices. And I deeply, deeply appreciate a DM who puts like bureaucracy into a campaign because I just think that maybe science fiction and fantasy should have more bureaucracy in its fiction. It's one of the greatest scenes in Jupiter Ascension. Just about to to point that one out. I love that scene. That is the best part of the movie. I don't know if the best part of the movie. Uh, It does have a a rollerblading werewolf, so... So, like, I didn't get the Channing Tatum thing at all until I saw him in eyeliner and was like, oh, oh, eyeliner. That's what he was missing. But, yeah, the the space rollerblades I allude to in a short story I wrote because I they also say something about bees in that short story because it was essentially, like, Jupiter's ending fan fiction. Um, so, yeah, so we I, – I loved the bureaucracy. But I have spent almost every game since then trying to convince everyone that we should quit our quest for this stupid-ass sword we've been trying to find and open up a private detective agency in Dark Edge. <laughs> to solve their paranormal problems and everyone else is like but they don't have any paranormal and i'm like they don't know that though we can still just open up a detective agency and then we could stay here and just be a detect like private detectives like that would be great and so i asked our tour guide like what what would we need to do to become private detectives and she was like you would need a permit and i was like okay great what would we need to do to open up an office? And she was like, you would need a different permit. And I was like, okay, noted. I thought we would be <laughs> in and out of these caves quickly, but we have spent literally 
seven months of game time in these caves. Part of it is because we're disasters and we can't stay focused at all. Like at some point we were like, why are we here again? What are we looking for? Um, But we've been in there a long time. So I like to remind people, but when we get out, we're not leaving Dark Age. We're actually not going to deliver the sword to the person who hired us to find the sword. We're going to be private detectives. And every time, like, I've interacted with anyone in these mountains, like, all of these mountain dwarves that don't care and want to murder us, I'm like, but we could take care of your ghost problem. Um, I would say this weird, obsessive subplot of Asir's is, like, my favorite thing in the entire world. And I talk about it all the time, even when I'm not playing. I'm like, but in the game my character really wants to be a private detective that solves paranormal mysteries in a town where we have no evidence that there are any paranormal activity. So, uh, yes, that is That's, my favorite moment for Asir, is becoming a private paranormal detective. It's wonderful. I love it. I would actually just want to play that campaign where you go around town solving mysteries. It's, it's Scooby-Doo, but with D&D, I'm, I'm into that. Yes, it is. I... I'm so yep. into that. As much as we could keep talking probably the rest of the day, um, we'll wrap it up there. Um, where can people find you online if you want them to, or if you can come out um, in the next little while if you want to plug it? I uh, have I have a short story in a collection that's coming out in May. The collection is called Out Now, and it's edited by Sandra Mitchell. Uh, I wrote a super queer non-binary teen named Rory who collects teapots with seditious sayings on them. The, oh, I'm into that. Yeah. Yeah. The book or the short story is called seditious teapots. Uh, and it was inspired by an American revolutionary teapot that says, uh, no stamp act on it. And I was like, so we threw the tea in the Harbor, but then we made a teapot that says no stamp. Act. Okay. I have some questions. Um, so I use the teapot and the tea as metaphor for gender. Uh, so I really like that story that's coming out. And then I have a picture book. It's called out now. It's, I think it's out May 20th, but anyway, so that's out then. And then in November, unfortunately on the U S election day, I have a picture book coming out called bedtime for superheroes for anyone who has a small child in their life or wants a really good shower gift. Thankfully people will be out voting so they can go and pick up the book at the same time. Yes. I'm saying it's the best. Uh, way to spend money like the best thing you can buy on election day since we can't buy an election because we're not pooing so yeah that's basically what i have coming out in the next 12 months and people can find me online i am off and on again on twitter because i love slash hate twitter and on instagram under the same name bibliogato b-i-b-l-i-o-g-a-t-o i'll put a link in the in the show notes too for that one Thanks. okay well Catherine, thank you so much for coming on the podcast uh, it's been so much fun talking to you and need to catch up and yeah, remember thanks for having me uh, remember all the times of age of glory but if you'd like um can you sign off uh, as as here and to say goodbye to all of our wonderful listeners bye lovelies so that is all from us for this week i'm sorry about whatever it was going on with my voice at the end of that episode for some reason, the process transferring so the, the audio file into the editing software just sped my voice up significantly. I know I talk pretty quickly already, and I try to slow down as much as possible, but it just seemed to think it wanted to go even faster. Uh, so thank you for listening this week. I hope you enjoyed hearing my chat with Catherine. 
You can find her on all the social medias that she mentioned earlier. You can find the podcast on Facebook, which is facebook.com slash tellmeaboutyourdnd. Or you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at tellmeyourdnd, which is just the letters D&D, because ampersands are not welcome on those platforms. You can also send us an email, which can be about your D&D character or a suggestion for the show, or maybe even just a review, or ideas on other guests that we might be able to have on in the future. If you know someone who's really into D&D and is in the public eye, then please shoot them our way. That would be great. Uh, the email address is tellmeaboutyourdnd at gmail.com. We're also on SoundCloud and Spotify and iTunes by this time, hopefully, and it would really help if you went over there and gave us a like, gave us a follow, left us a review. Five stars would be great too because it lets us out to more listeners. You can also find me. Uh, that's that's me, Jeremy, the host. You can find me on Twitter at Talman, T-A-L-U-M-I-N, or on my other podcast, which is of Dyson DMs, which is also on SoundCloud. Uh, But until next time, thank you so much for listening, and may all your hits be crits.